for people that have experienced childhood trauma, chronic trauma, um, you know, anything where their life was threatened in the past and it has uh, symptoms, symptoms of hypervigilance and nervous system hyperarousal of like flooding. You know, flooding can happen much more easily if someone has experienced trauma that has been unprocessed. Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey, welcome everybody to this episode of Emotional Flooding. And I have a conversation with a very good friend and colleague, returning guest, Corey Costanzo. Yeah, and we talk about the subject of emotional flooding, how it affects relationships. I like to think of emotional flooding as being hijacked. Man, we're so triggered that heart's beating fast, adrenaline is going, we cannot see straight, we cannot hear straight. We certainly don't have access to empathy and good conflict resolution skills. Mm -hmm. When either partner gets flooded, then it's even harder to calmly and rashly work through conflicts and disagreements. And when both parties are emotionally flooded, man, they are relating from an emotional state where compassion, understanding, empathy for each other is almost impossible to access. And then of course, tone of voice and facial expressions, they can be very easily misinterpreted as threatening. So Corey and I talk about some various aspects of how to recognize emotional flooding, what to do when you're emotionally flooded or even when your partner is and how to transform that energy that you're trying to protect yourself by flight or fight and instead get some agency on yourself to reconnect in your relationships. So let me tell you more about Corey. Corey is the co-owner of Asheville's premier spa, Still Point Wellness. He is also a licensed addiction counselor, a trauma specialist, licensed massage and bodywork therapist, a somatic experiencing practitioner. He has an array of therapeutic skills. And you can learn more about Corey at stillpointwell.com. And you can check out more about him also in the show notes. Okay, everybody, before we get on to the conversation, just want to refer you to my website, prepo.com. There you can sign up for my newsletters. You can also check more about my therapy practice and my coaching practice. You can check me out on Instagram at prepotoplitsky and also Twitter. And I do want to thank a few people 
that have recently donated to my podcast, Financially Donated. I'd like to thank Bill in North Carolina, Sammy in Georgia, and Ray in the UK. Thank you so much for donating to my podcast. And if those of you that are inclined to do so, which it is greatly appreciated, you can go to my website, prevo.com. You can hit the podcast page. There's another link to support the podcast. You can leave a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. Okay, everybody, I hope that you're feeling the spring in the air, that you're feeling some hope and some joy that you're getting out and moving, moving that energy around, bring up your vibrations, bring up the capacity to love, the capacity to have compassion, to be kind. Those are the skills that we highly need right now. And I wish you love on that journey. Okay, everybody, here we go. Emotional flooding. My conversation with Corey Costanzo. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. my brother. Prepo, it's so good to be back, my man. <laughs> I love when we uh, take a little break or whatever. It's every couple months that we get together and and uh, we figure out what topic. And a lot of times it comes back to some of your bread and butter, which is emo- emotional regulation. I love that. And so I thought flooding. I love using that word flooding uh, because that's so indicative of what happens when people get emotionally deregulated is emotional flooding. So I thought, who am I going to do that with? My man I'm going to do it with. Uh, I really appreciate you saving this topic for me because it's near and dear to my heart. When I first learned about the nervous system and emotional regulation and dysregulation, you know, when, like we used to say in Brooklyn, when I start bugging out, when there were some scientific terms to what I knew of as a kid and I would watch happen in my family system, you know, it just made me feel so validated. And emotional flooding is a course of a, a, a dump, a dump of biochemicals, neurotransmitters into the bloodstream, especially cortisol and adrenaline that uh, you know, is used to keep us alive. It's used to really help us fight or flee and um, deal with a potential life-threatening situation. The problem is that we human beings tend to hold on to things and you know, not have the skills and the tools to clear and to process things. So they get layered on top of each other. And some people, many people, myself included, will emotionally flood sometimes when the going really gets tough. Yeah, so having a name for it, I think is so important. I'm flooding right now. Yeah, to me, it's so non-judgmental in some way. You know, flooding, I'm flooded. You know, I don't, when I think of myself being flooded, I don't think of myself being bad. I just think of like, all right, man, like the red light is gone. You are flooded. It's not gonna do you any good right now to continue what you're doing. Take care of the flood. And that is, 
I think is so big, you know, men, it shows that men get flooded way more than women. And I think that's probably because, and this is my assumption, that we men keep our emotions closer, tighter, more repressed. So it just boils over. We just hold it until it just comes out strong, where I think more women are more in touch with what they're feeling and what they're experiencing, even though they might get uh, frustrated or angry. I don't think that they get as flooded as men do. Sure, but that escalates and w- women get, get into a flight and fight response just like men do. But I do believe that we do it more often. And that's why I hear a lot about with couples when the woman says, you never come back. You need to, you, you usually distance yourself or withdraw but it takes you so long. I wish it wouldn't take you so long to come back. And that's a real challenge What because when people get flooded, it takes a while and everybody's different. It could be from the minimum to 20 to 30 minutes or it could be days because people are replaying and those chemicals keep get dumped. And so we'll talk about it, but the best thing to do is not replay uh, the circumstances that created. It's more about how to self-soothe to get you away from replaying those chemical dumps in the body. And I think in order to do that, one needs to be aware that flooding is happening and there's a dumping of biochemicals in my bloodstream right now. And I think that's the most important part of effective and successful communication and connection is first that awareness when the disconnection is happening. And the ability to do that is very skillful. And it takes a sense of like pulling back from your experience and bearing witness, using the witness self to notice, oh, there's there's cortisol and adrenaline going on in my bloodstream right now. Now is not the time to prove my point. Now is not the time to be right. Now that's, that's just gonna, um, further the cycle, this negative cycle of conflict. Now is the time for me to emotionally regulate, to deal with this, with with my neurochemistry right now. And, you know, there's lots of fairly simple ways to do that. But what do you think people feel that they, there's this dichotomy, I know for me, all right, let, let me just, let me just complete this. And let me just resolve this instead of lifting off and knowing that I got to pause whatever kind of angst that I'm trying to to solve. Because you're right, when we're flooded, we don't uh, work through conflict well at all. Well, not our hearing shuts off because all of our um, faculties and the physiologically needs to go to either flight or run or fight. So we don't have... We don't have access to empathy. We don't have access to compassion. We sure as hell don't have access to hearing our partner out. So I'm wondering why there's this human desire to not want to self-soothe and take care of ourselves in that moment. I think it's because of the threat response. We're wired to eliminate the threat. Right. So that's why we want to we wanna prove that we're right. You know, we get tunnel vision. We get hypervigilant. The blood goes to our amygdala and our reptile brain so that we just stay alive. And it's an autonomic, it's an automatic response that 
all we need to do is just prove that we're right and exactly we're not listening when that's when that's happening and um it's a lower level of communication mm -hmm. yeah and i also think then it triggers off past traumas for people because when we're trying to be right and there's a threat we go back to what threatened us to create trauma in our in our developmental years also right and that's linked so think of it like uh the in somatic experiencing the trauma modality that i've been trained in uh you, you call these coupling dynamics where it's like merged or it's it's linked to the past so let's say my needs weren't met as a kid and then my partner doesn't um doesn't caretake my hunger need let's say like i had a long day of work i worked a 12-hour day and i come back and 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 i'm expecting to be cared for um with with a meal and if that if that doesn't happen not only will i feel disappointed that the meal wasn't there when i got home but it'll be loaded or linked or coupled with all the disappointments from my childhood yeah, like feeling just neglect and then that piles up after years and years and years of reinforcement of that reaction. That's right. Yeah. So then what could be a very, a very simple communication, oh, I was hoping that dinner would be would be ready. Um ah, what a bummer. All right, maybe we can eat out or maybe we can order in turns into a loaded argument and a projection of unresolved conflict from childhood on onto onto the partner i, I should start using i statements <laughs> yeah go get, so, so, onto, so what happened this wife. morning what happened yesterday what happened <laughs> so funny that i just did that huh uh, yeah that's yeah. that's uh that's been a that's been a uh a common a common theme that is that has happened and like you know at this point gosh i just i just love robin's boundaries you know now when i do that she's like hey just because you're mad at your at your mom like doesn't mean you have to like project that onto me and she'll just stop me dead in, dead in my tracks sometimes yeah so that's one good thing about about uh how to take care of yourself with flooding is setting boundaries that's right so she also doesn't allow herself to get into the flooding the flooding game with you by setting some boundaries because if she Ooh. didn't set boundaries she, she would just go back and forth and you would escalate in your flooding that's right she's mm. so good at it i i was i was trying to work uh rope her into this work issue these last few days that's been really stressful for me and she has just put up some serious boundaries she's like you know what Corey? i just don't have the bandwidth for that and i'm sorry you're just gonna have to do this on your own and i'm like robin this is so important. Like right now, I really need help. I really need support. She's like, I'm sorry, listen, I'll I'll help you brainstorm for 20 minutes at 12 o'clock. But other than that, I've got some shit to do today. And I'm sorry, I just can't get roped into this. I can't let your stress bleed onto me with this. You're gonna have to handle this. I mean, I was left speechless, mm. speechless. I'm imagining she said it in a certain tone that wasn't, that wasn't um combative no somewhat, right it was so clear mm. and you know what it did actually now that i think about it it was so clear that it forced me 
it forced me to think that she was doing the right thing for herself. And when I, when I was able to get there, I just mustered up the courage that I could do it on my own. You know, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna put my big boy pants on and I'm gonna do this on my own. And now she's like up-leveled both of our boundaries because now I found myself doing that with her also hmm. with certain things, you know? And like, I used to allow my boundaries to get crossed in relationship and then do something that I didn't wanna do and then feel resentful for it. Whereas, and, and she used to do that also. You know, and, and, and we kind of like enable each other in that. And then she started holding hardcore boundaries and I started respecting those boundaries. And now I'm holding better boundaries also. So we kind of like up leveled, as you would always say, our differentiation and, and our boundaries that we, that we hold with one another. And it's really made our, our relationship more dynamic and, um, and I don't know, more mutually respectful. And I like the word mutually dependent like you're taking care of the relationship in a healthy way. I call it mutual dependence instead of codependence. Mm, yeah. Like that. Yeah, each doing your part to better the relationship. You know, it was interesting too, Of I was just, uh, as you know, I, I was in Florida visiting family, visiting my mom I hadn't seen in a while. And man, I was so proud of myself, man. I There was, there was no flooding, there was no reactions. Um, I really took care of myself when a conversation I could tell was would normally go into a, a direction that wasn't healthy for us. I watched what I would say. I spent time. I walked a lot on my own physical being outside. I got some good sun. I exercised. Um, so I was taking care of myself physically so that I could really feel the level of my, the homeostasis of my body was in a good rhythm that I could easily tell when I started getting a little bit jacked. In my everyday life, there's a lot of stresses that are going on, so my level of feeling that is higher. So I don't, you know, the chronic stress is hard to regulate. So being away and taking care of myself, I was able to to register more if I was going to get out of hand. And I had ten days, nothing with my mom, nothing with Rainbow, nothing but but more compassion, more care. And I, I, I must say this too, I set that intention. And that was really powerful. I said it with Rainbow, I said how I wanted to be. So I was really pleasant, pleasantly surprised that my normal flooding that happens, being regressed, being with my mom, being with family, um, did, not, did not happen at all. Hey man, I'm really happy to hear that. Mm. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is that you established a solid baseline for yourself that was at a calm and regulated place. So then when you got a little triggered or you got a little upset or, you know, you were able to really notice it and then you were able to take care of yourself. I've been taking care of myself at a really good level in many ways. So there was a feeling like I don't want to steal this good feeling away. I don't want this feeling of groundingness or this feeling of clarity. I don't want something to jack me out of it. So more, a lot of it was my own intention. I'm not going to allow the flooding to, to overtake me. 
in some way. I'm going to be more conscious, like mindfulness. I've been spending a lot more time with just awareness of mindfulness in my life in many different ways. So I do think that all of the techniques that we've been talking about and self-soothing, there's a level of of being empowered in intention to know. Like a lot of people feel, I can't control it, or I get angry at myself. I feel guilty that I go off, as opposed to know we can manage this. It's not just something that happens to us from the outside. If we're really looking, like you said, from all the biomarkers inside and registering, it's happening from within us, not from without. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you mentioned you mentioned biomarkers from our conversation earlier today before we started the po- the podcast. And I love the concept of using the body um, as a way to gain awareness to what's happening in the present moment. So like, you know, sometimes if I'm speaking with somebody and my heart starts racing, you know, that's a biomarker that my body's telling me something. You know, if my hands start getting tight, if my throat starts getting tight, that's another biomarker that tells me something. You know, and if I get curious about those biomarkers, then I can get some deeper information of what I need to do in the moment. You know, do I need to put up a boundary? Do I need to, uh, you know, ask for a pause and walk away and take 20 minutes, you know, to self-regulate? Yeah. Um, do I need to um, simply say, hey, I'm not, I'm not able to have this conversation right now. Let's, let's pick it up tomorrow mm-hmm. even. Yeah. That's really not only taking care of ourselves, but it's taking care of the relationship, which is so important. You know, I, I mentioned earlier about like John Gottman, one of his studies that he used a um, a, a blood oximeter that shows the, the BPMs. And um, he said between 95 and 100 beats per minute is when flooding starts taking place. So he would put these oximeters on people's fingers and the beeping would go off at 100. So people could instantly see, because they were unconscious of the creeping of the escalation of their BPM. So every time it beeped, it was like, okay, stop, stop right there. Do you know that you're getting flooded? Just take a pause. It's kind of like a, a shock collar in some way, right? Love right. it. Right, and and I thought like, if there's a way for us to you know, train ourselves, even if it is you know, doing that for a while, putting on a little finger uh, uh, registration of our beats per minute, heartbeats per minute, but in a way that's going to start conditioning us to our no, I can feel what 100 feels like, right? And once we get once we get good at knowing what's going on in our body, like you said, is my throat getting tight? Am I getting hot? Am I starting to sweat a little bit? Those are all signs of flooding. And all we need to do is register that and pause it and stop it. And we would stop so much of uh, just damaging conflict that people have. I love that. I love that. I was on Amazon earlier. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get some. <laughs> They're like 25 bucks. I know, right? Yeah. Wow. Exactly. I'm definitely gonna get a yeah. couple of them in the office. Yeah, just even for me, I'm like thinking, I got them at home, let me just put it on and just like have it on for a while and see what happens when some of my conversations with Rainbow happens. Do, what do I get jacked about? Do I start getting jacked about, you know, certain things with money or other things that that I can feel myself go into a a flight fight response at times? Yeah, um, yeah, that's 
that's just we just need to know there's so many different biohacks that we can be aware of and registered in order to work internally of our apparatus that usually again we think it's because of these external circumstances that stress is is coming at us instead of it's actually just internal it's how we perceive our experiences and circumstances and like you said earlier since we're animals we perceive threat all around us a threat of rejection a threat of not being liked a threat of not being loved a threat of not being agreed with that takes us all the way back to chemicals of physiological threat threat of pissing someone off Mm -hmm. yeah like a lot of people myself included sometimes like I don't want to piss somebody off. Like that's a threat to me. So it's like, you know, if I'm not liked, then that's threatening. You know, I grew up in Brooklyn where like, if you looked at someone the wrong way, you know, you were getting into a fight. And, you know, I I just, one of my coping mechanisms growing up was always just to be friends with everybody. I mean, just naturally, I just moved towards, towards that anyway, but it was definitely a defense mechanism growing up. Hmm. Here's a funny story I want to share that relates to this. My my mom came for a visit recently and we're in the kitchen um, where we spend most of our time. I have an Italian family that just loves to cook, shows love through food. And, um, and my mom is telling me about this conflict that she was having with a friend of hers that uh, she felt very strongly about. And um, I noticed that her left shoulder kept going up like towards her ear when she was telling me about it. And earlier in the day, she was telling me how much her shoulder's hurting her. So she asked me for advice on how to handle the conflict. And I said, you know, I don't know about what advice I can offer you in terms of handling the conflict, but I do notice that you told me that your shoulder's really hurting you, that you might have to see a physical therapist. I also noticed that all throughout this conversation, your shoulder was was rising up and tensing. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I was like, all right, let's just keep talking about this and 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 I'll show you. I'll point it out in real time. She's like, all right. So, so we start talking about, about the issue again. And sure enough, within like 30 seconds, the shoulder starts going. So I just pause here and I'm like, look at your shoulder right now. And she looks down on her shoulder. She's like, whoa, (laughs) it was totally subconscious pattern. And I noticed that happening so often in my own body and in people that I work with is that the pain will in their body is directly linked to the subconscious patterns of tension that they have when they get when they get flooded, when they get angry, when they get upset, or or even even more so flooded. All right, because those emotions that are correlate with flooding cannot happen in a relaxed body. Those emotions can only occur in a tense body. Anger and frustration. I cannot feel that if I have a relaxed container. It doesn't exist. It only exists when I start to creep in tense and contraction. And I think that's a real awareness that people need to understand is what's happening when my body contracts? Like, where do I contract? Do I, my shoulders tense to my my, uh, cheeks and jaws and teeth? Do I start to clench? Do I start to clench my hands? 
me, I'm a buttocks holder. I can, I, my buttocks, I start to clench. And I can feel that when I put attention there, I'm like, oh my God, let, let me just relax those butt cheeks. Ugh. When I relax my butt cheeks, my emotions totally change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you can like flip that pattern. You know, if if I'm very angry and I don't want to be, I could bring my awareness right to my body and then start relaxing those places where I'm tensing in my body. Because yeah, I think you're right, right? Like anger is putting up, is a, is a way to put up a boundary, right? It's very important. We need to feel anger and we need to be angry sometimes so that the other person knows that uh, what they're doing is not okay. So it's a threat response. And what do you do? What happens when we're under threat? Cortisol and adrenaline gets released into our bloodstream. It makes our muscles tense so that we could fight or run or prepare to eliminate the threat. So we could flip that or hack into that system by recognizing the biomarkers when we get very angry because really, yeah, anger and um, you know eliminating the threat is great when your life is in danger. If there's someone coming at me with a baseball bat, you know, that's really trying to hurt me. Like, yeah, I've got to mobilize some serious defense, you know, or offense so that I can take care of the threat. But if it's my partner and we love each other, you know, there's just no reason for conflict to to result in life threat. It's not life threatening conflict, you know, it's like. So a lot of that, I think is also us working on ourselves of not feeling that our ego is threatened all the time. Like I'm not, oh, I'm not good enough in your eyes or I didn't do it right in your eyes. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of men go through that aspect of they hear complaints as criticism and they think that they're not enough. And then this, and then either they shut down or they get more angry and blame because there's a threat to their feeling of adequacy. That's right. And to their ego. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, to their existence, to their reality of themselves. And that is that is threatening. You know, also, um, oh, I just had a good, I just had a good thought. It was with PTSD, right? It's trauma. For people that have experienced childhood trauma, chronic trauma, um, you know, anything where their life was threatened in the past and it has uh, symptoms, symptoms of hypervigilance and nervous system hyperarousal of like flooding. You know, flooding can happen much more easily if someone has experienced trauma that has been unprocessed. Yeah. yeah because the body is a container to hold the activation of the threat response is much smaller. And so therefore, like more people that have um, substance abuse issues and addictions, which comes mainly stems from, a, from trauma. As a coping mechanism, right? yeah. So they're gonna be more apt to also flood more. Is that right? Absolutely, that's right, that's mm -hmm. right. Because their nervous systems and, you know, People, uh, people that have experienced trauma and people that have used substance or abused substance as a way to cope and feel a certain way, you know, their nervous systems are hardwired, you know, for to need the substance in order to self-regulate, right, or in order to feel pleasure, right. So, so that's their self-soothing mechanism. Yeah, that's right. Which is not healthy. 
No, it's not healthy because then those times when they're not under the influence or, you know, using using the substance, they can be very quick to anger. They could be very, um, very depressed or or you know not, um, you know, not being able to self regulate with just a breathing tool or a mental kind of tool of you know everything's going to be okay or something. And like I that. imagine that creates a lot of anxiety if they know the only way that they self regulate is through a substance. And then they're thinking about the substance. If they don't have the substance, yeah. or they'll use the substance in an inappropriate environment in order to to feel that they're in control or that they can control the self soothing of their anxiety. Yeah, yeah. What about what about in? Uh, I mentioned earlier your thoughts again of um, with people that um, are using substance. Is the substance of our internal adrenaline and cortisol it? Do people get used to that and almost addicted to that chemical? Absolutely. It's, there's really no difference if the chemical is coming uh, from an external source or if it's coming from an internal source. You know, think about like uh, adrenaline junkies. You know, right. people people that need to do high high risk sports and activities. You know, they they really they really crave that hit that they get from doing that activity at the expense of the risk. Yeah, so more people that have risky behaviors, some of this and the internal addiction to that chemical hit. That's right. Wow. Yeah. You know, I also thought about this too with, uh, I, I think I read the sentence, something about like with kids, when kids are deregulated, it does not do the parent any good for them to be deregulated when you have deregulated de you mean dysregulated yes thanks okay dysregulated so dysregulated child that is throwing a ship at having a tantrum yeah the best thing a parent can do is to regulate themselves in order to help regulate a dysregulated child and i'm i'm thinking that when partners when one's dysregulated it's a it's a repression that goes back and they're dysregulated in a childlike state. And the best thing that that partner could do is regulate themselves in order for the dysregulated partner to be able to regulate. So for parents out there and partners, I mean, working on that with your kids is, is probably one of the best gifts that you can give your kid is when they're dysregulated for you to regulate so they can help regulate the, themselves in the presence of your regulation. That's right. That's right. It sets, uh, you know, the parents are supposed to be the master regulators of the family system. Mm, supposed to be. Supposed to be. Right. Yeah. In fact, um, I just came across this book um, about adult children of immature parents. Right. So adults that when they were children, they had immature parents and parents that don't know how to regulate their own nervous systems. You know, they have an immature, an, an immature sense of, um, of self-care and caretaking for their nervous system that makes a family system uh, disorganized. And it becomes very challenging to have consistency and for children to shape their nervous systems in a healthy way 
if the parents aren't able to self-regulate. Yeah. Does that, does that stamp, or do you want to say something? Well, what I just wanted to say was, I don't think that there should ever be yelling in a family. Like, I just don't think that there is place for that. I think if there is yelling, that's a form of violence and a form, and that is going to uh, scare kids into compliance and then they're going to uh you know their authentic selves are going to are going to hide mm. through fear right. and then they're just going to put up the mask you know so if there's anyone out there that finds themselves yelling a lot get yourself some support because i don't think that there should be yelling there's no place for it there's mm. no place for parenting through fear yeah. or for yelling like it's got to stop Right. And and it just means that that parent just needs some more support. That's it. And the spectrum to that also is if there is total avoidance. I mean, that's that's better than the nine violence of shutting up and not speaking is better. However, that should be used as just a small coping mechanism because children that grow up with people with parents that don't work out conflict in a healthy way by speaking to it by by expressing their emotions where each person can hear it in more of a respectful way or knowing what their emotions are and just avoiding it there's almost this um walking on eggshells feeling for for kids that does also create anxiety a lot of people think well parents didn't didn't argue at all they didn't argue but you were picking up underneath the emotions that were not expressed. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, high intensity family systems like that, where there's a lot of cortisol um, being released and adrenaline being released and yelling and fights and stuff, you know, children's nervous systems will attune to that. And then that will lead to the need for that when they get into relationship, mm-hmm. when they start dating, you know, and then when they have children. And that's how intergenerational transmission of trauma happens. It's this hardwiring of the nervous system from generation to generation to generation. And I am just floored and in awe when I work with people that are able to, that have endured family systems where there was abuse and uh, physical abuse, a lot of yelling, um, you know, substance abuse, inconsistency, disorganization. Um, I'm just amazed when people heal from that and then, and they set the intention not to pass that down to their children. I get tears in my eyes and, and, and I'm proud to show it with my clients too. Yeah. And those people, it takes a tremendous amount of courage for them to have compassion for themselves of either what they experienced and also the compassion for uh, the slowness of maybe the progression of seeing the results. Like to continually have the compassion to stay with that determination to not continue to pass it on as opposed to people that berate themselves or judge themselves when they slip or when they can't do it or when it's so hard. It's the consistent intention 
and the shifts and small shifts and changes that are that are making the change. It's work. Yeah. And it's amazing to bear witness to somebody's process that does that. That's why I do this work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And put it out to people that um, taking care of your emotional flooding is work. Right. And because um, you're a human being that has all kinds of challenging circumstances in, in our society and our stress and and what we pile on to um, what we think is success and so forth. And so it's so important that we are able to step out and not think and compare ourselves with other people's lives and, oh, I should be able to handle this situation and somebody else is handling this way. One, we don't know what the fuck people are doing behind closed doors. We don't know how people are handling their situations. You and I do <laughs> behind closed doors, how, how people are. And I think having self-love and compassion, self-compassion for ourselves and our partners is is the pathway to being able to transform um, the continuous pileation of of emotional dysregulation, deregulation, flooding, flight fight responses, unhealthy withdrawals. Yeah, man, we're all human here having a human experience and part of it is overwhelming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure, myself included with that. Yeah. It feels so good when, I know for me, when I'm aware of these little windows and doorways that I think I didn't have control over that just happened to me, right? We call them reactions, that we just react. And another way that I deal with it that I put in my last podcast was about mental mental rehearsal for changing our reactions. And that is to go back to the scenarios that you went off and you reacted, got flooded, and to be able to replay that new movie and see yourself react and respond in a different way and feel it in the body. To me, that's another way of changing of flooding responses, to recognize when I said something or felt something that created a rise and now bring myself down in the moment and see myself respond in a different way. Now play that movie over and over and over again. Instead of reconditioning adrenaline and cortisol, what I'm actually conditioning is the sense of oxytocin and good dopamine that I feel good of my reactions. I feel connected to the person instead of them being a threat. I love that, Prepo. I'm going to use that one myself for sure. Yeah, man. Did you listen to that? You didn't listen. First listen to that podcast and then you can... <laughs> <It> <laughs> you was, got me. It was a good one. <laughs> you it was got a good me. One. Yeah. yeah, there was this great um, study that they did where they took a high school basketball team and uh, put them into three groups and everybody shot a hundred free throws. And then they, they recorded how many, how many they got in. Then one group practiced for a week practicing free throws. The other group didn't practice at all. And then the third group practiced only mentally. And then after a week, they went back and they retested them. Damned if the two groups that practiced doing the actual free throws and just mentally doing the free, the free throws, they improved by the same rate. Yeah, And then the group that didn't practice at all decreased. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people don't practice 
doing their visualization. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Their mental rehearsing to to react in a different way. They just keep playing the reaction over and over and saying, I wish I didn't react that way. Or they they criticize themselves and become such a critic of how they reacted instead. Okay, let me see myself do it differently over and over and over again. I love that. Yeah. You know, it's a tool that I use also um, when I'm feeling myself getting dysregulated or flooded is self-touch. Mm. So I'll find a place in my body and typically for me, it's my chest uh, or it used to be my belly, but now it's not my belly anymore. It's my chest um, where I'm where I'm really feeling activated and tense and tight. And I'll just put a hand there, not to make it go away, but a hand just to say I'm listening and it's okay. So it goes back to that self-compassion that you're talking about. And yeah. the reason why I think self-touch is so powerful is because when I put a hand, a mindful touch on my chest, then my mind is not thinking about anything else. My mind is thinking about the connection between my hand and my body. And it is a very powerful tool to self-regulate. Yeah. yeah, I do that at night, like as I'm falling asleep or in the morning when I wake up, if I get anxiety, either of those times. I mean, because instantly cortisol levels go down when we touch, when somebody touches us in a healthy right. way and we touch ourselves. A lot of times when we put our hand on our forehead, we're doing it out of shock, like, oh my God. But what we're really trying to do is trying to self-regulate by touching our for our prefrontal cortex ah. and bringing blood flow there by just placing our hand there. Nice. So that's that's a wonderful. I had a client that said, "Hey, so like, is that why men put their hand in their pants when they're like watching TV? Is self soothing?" <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, "I'm sure it is self soothing." Just thinking right. about it, I'm starting to drool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to see me on like like after a big Italian family dinner, you uh -huh. know. Me yeah. and my brother are on the couch. Couch unbuttoning the pants yeah. and shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another thought about, about healthy touch that rocked my world is, is um, the Romanian babies that were dying in the orphanages. And it was like a world humanitarian crisis. There were all these babies dying and, and they were feeding them and clothing them and nobody knew why. And then they had these um, NGOs were going over um, just holding the babies and touching the babies. And they figured out that it was the touch that these babies were lacking. Yeah. They got food, they got shelter, but they weren't getting human to human touch. And once they did, their birth, their 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 rates of more of, of living just skyrocketed. You know, you might know this, uh, um, a friend of mine that was on podcast, um, Sam Del Vecchio, He's a somatic experiencing practitioner, and he was part of a group that would go to through, I think it was um, through the disaster part of the the government, uh, FEMA, oh. and and the recent hurricane. I think it was in Fort Myers, and their sole purpose, the practitioners, was to go around and just walk up to people, make contact, and then when it felt appropriate, to touch them. They were in such trauma of i mean this he said it was incredible how it just wiped the whole city mm -hmm. and and people through just touch a hug or a touch while they were talking they could see he could see how people would transform in their regulation of themselves so basically they were just trained you don't have to try to talk people 
out of their shock. Just even a touch on the arm, it, it brought people back into the sense of themselves and a groundedness. So even, even through that type of chaos, that is the trained go-to to help people get out of shock. Mm, I love that. Well, well, cool, brother. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, I can feel a little relaxed just even um, knowing that there is pathways um, for us and the humanity that we share, that we so openly talk about our vulnerabilities and working through. And I love that you share your expertise with me and my podcast listeners. So just to give them, even somebody just got one sentence today, mm. you know, to to be aware of and and to not have their judgment about their flooding, mm. um, but to actually know that there's transformation that can happen through just awareness. Love that. I love yeah. it, Prepo. Thanks so much for having me on again. And uh, let's go eat. Yeah, man. Let's go hang. All right. All right, brother. Love you, man. Yeah, I love you too. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit prepo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Thank you.